This episode is brought to you in part by The Table Podcast from the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary. I'm Daryl Bach, one of the hosts, and I invite you to join us as we discuss issues of God and culture, which includes anything and everything. Listen on your podcast app or at dts.edu slash the table. I ran away and I'm taking off through the, like, the bushes and I'm hearing the highway. So I cross over the banister and now I'm walking on the highway against traffic. And I'm just like fumbling. I'm hoping someone just field goals me. And a car drives by. Courtney Pollard? It's one of the football moms that recognizes me, takes me in. My parents hear that I'm there and they retrieve me. And my dad treated me different every day since. He said, anything my son will fight me for, I support. This is Where You From, a podcast for those who believe it's important to stop and listen before we speak. Join us as we ask another Christian thought leader where you're from and discover how their life experiences and expertise, even if we may disagree with something they say, offer us an important perspective that's worth thinking about. Welcome to Where You're From. I'm Rasul Berry. When have you pursued something you love despite people telling you you'd never make it? Have you ever been criticized for pursuing a calling? What would you do if the choice before you was to either follow your calling or give it up to please the people around you? Today, we're talking with someone who knows what it takes to pursue his calling despite the resistance of the people closest to him. Courtney Jamal Pollard, best known as Molly Music, is a Grammy-nominated recording artist, singer-songwriter, and producer. His music has received wide recognition in both sacred and secular spheres. Join me as I ask Molly Music, where you're from. I was born in Phoenix, Arizona, but I was raised in Savannah, Georgia. Okay. And that was something actually in preparing for this conversation that I discovered that I didn't know about you before. So like, what was the Phoenix connection? Military baby. Ah. So Phoenix was where my mother was at that specific time when I came into the world. I was soon sent to Savannah, Georgia with my grandmother. Wow, that's interesting. So you didn't go to Savannah initially with your parents? No, 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 no. My mom was still in the military from what I know. I came up with my grandmother very early. So was that hard growing up for a time without your mom? Well, it wasn't without her because I didn't really notice because we were so cocooned. It was such a village. And I'm also on a mountain of cousins. So this (laughs) is where all the children are. So... It's cool because we got to see a generation above us, brother, sister, cousins, and then there was us who was just like them, Mm -hmm. but we were just a younger pack and just taught to be together. So my mom, she was there, and if not there, then it was my eldest sister, who was my little mom, you know? A real village. You had a real village situation. What about your father? What kind of connection was there? Yeah. Well, that was distant. I didn't know my biological father early. That was something that I saw at 18. I asked my stepdad. He gave me my direction and my masculinity, my understanding and the sensitivity of being a gentleman. He gave me all of my correction on character over anything else. And that blessed me, the things that he instilled. But my biological father wasn't necessarily there to do that. But when I turned 18, I wanted to 
connect with my biological father. So I did. Mm. I asked my parents and got some information from my grandmother. And my biological father lived in Tunica, Mississippi, Mm. where he died. Got it. Tell us a little bit about for you. What was it like to grow up in Savannah? I knew nothing else. And if I'm very honest with you, I may not have even noticed Savannah. I was so enthralled with music. And the portion of Savannah that I took was from my church and inside of my ministry, because even though Savannah is beautiful, it represented the world to me. But it was also crazy because I didn't notice how deep South I was. Hmm. So all of the cringing experiences that I was getting day to day, and then the things that my relatives were enduring and complaining about that night would be heavily racial issues that I thought was normal. Mm. So yeah, I was deep south, but I never noticed it until late because I just was so into music and it was just about home and church. Yeah. When do you remember first connecting with music? Early. It's how I learned. Like I was telling the story recently to my loving queen and I was telling her that my mom was so very good with me. She had epileptic fits when I was in her womb, so she was suggested to sit down, which was torment to such an active woman. Mm. But she obeyed, and I have just a very strong sit-down bond, Mm. you know. She chose me over her for that time. My mom, even now, would complain about being heavily dyslexic. So everything's backwards, so she'll write something. So she's really smart, has a lot of information. She just knows it all in reverse. (laughs) And I guess she had a bad experience early of someone either laughing at her or maybe that something happened to her in school as a young girl to where she just created this formula of, baby, we can do it. We can learn it. We can get this. She just was very aggressive and headstrong in that way. So if I or my sister showed any type of like learning curve need, she was non-judgmental of it. And she was so versatile between me and my sisters and how she would help us learn it. It was all songs for Molly. Like my elder sister, what's the address? Boom. My youngest sister, what's our address? Boom. Molly, what's our address? I do not know. If it was said, stated, or written, it was irrelevant. But if she sung it, it stuck. So I know all of my addresses, phone numbers until this day by peculiar melodies tucked in a part of my heart. Wow. Wow. So my mom taught me that. That's what life is. So yeah. my mom, she has both of my hands singing it to Molly. Apartment 39C. And I'm wow. like, okay, that's where we at. So it was music from the beginning. In fact... You mentioned one time that one of your favorite memories as a kid was your family harmonizing. Yeah, yeah. Together. So that wasn't just in you, that that was also something that was around you. Tell us about that. My mother's brother, Leroy Keith Lassen, was like my musical idol. My (laughs) uncle Keith, I call him my uncle Keith. Fly, man, come on. He wore a suit, matching shoes. He had crazy colors. I hear stories that he was the boy in high school that was like, flamboyant with the clothes, you know, like they're either laughing at Keith because Keith coming in sharp. You know, he also aspired to pastor and did and sung, but he played keyboard. So that's as close as I got to an instrument and seeing like what this is coming out of his fingers. I was heavily influenced by him and he and my mother would be forced and told to sing by my great-grandmother Rose who had a church named Love and Faith. Mm. So that's when I would hear my grandmother say, come on up here and sing that song for me. And my uncle Keith would start it. 
And they would sing that song, Where Do You Stand? And then my Uncle Tommy would go, I've been running, <laughs> running. And he got like this big voice. And I'm just sitting experiencing this. And then my mom would come in with the high note and she'll sing the other part and it would just wreck the church. But when they would go to this, where do you stand? I'm on the Lord's side. My uncle keep I was like, wow. But it was something powerful when they all would go, I'm on, I'm on, I'm on the Lord, the Lord, the Lord's side. Wow. I'm like, crazy. So now for them to get that level in church, then my mom's cooking and they're at the house just practicing and it's busting. And you know, when harmonies lock, it goes zzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzz
She would begin to cry and say, say peace and sing it with feeling, son. I would say, oh, I still have peace, still have peace. And they would bless her. And then she would come to embarrass me by calling me up in the single digits before her whole church, my mother, my uncle, all the people I admire, my sisters, my cousins who were laughing at me and asked me to sing that for them. Mm. I would say, no, 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 I'm crying. Mm -hmm. And she would not allow me to leave from up there. So I cried for 15 minutes, getting laughed at by my cousins and sisters. My great grandma would not let me leave until I got it together in the front of everyone and sung that song wow that's when i feel i was formed that's when i was like well fear doesn't work (laughs) (laughs) crying doesn't work and they're not about to just laugh so now since then i just would come out just guns blazing because you know that was the last time there ever was a crying me on stage wow boy when they say they don't make them like they used to i mean that's intense she's just like i'll wait you just because i know what's in there That's so deep, man. And to see how that early relationship with music was formed. I mean, you mentioned they would call you Molly. So, like, that was an early nickname for you? Yeah, from my mother. Okay. From whatever that bond was. My name's Courtney Jamal Pollard. I hated being a young black Courtney. (laughs) Yeah. What some people don't know about you is your athletic prowess. So, tell us a little bit about that journey. That was unexpected. Actually, I was the kid that didn't do homework, but had 110 on chorus (laughs) on my report card. Like I was trying to make the statement, guys, you don't make me learn anything else, mom and dad. You know, and they're like, boy, stop sabotaging your life. Do this work. Like, what are you doing? I actually got into football or anything late. I was going straight music. I was already accepted applicant at Savannah Arts. Academy, where I was going to just meet more violinists and go deeper down the wormhole. But we had a field day where I got a chance to play these sports. That's when I started getting exposed to the jocks. So now there's like this breed of people who come out and they just know how to move and they know all the rules. But I understood through singing how something subtle could affect a crowd. Like you can go, ooh, uh, and they'll go, woo. So people are emotionally connected to what my feet and body are doing. And so the concept is to not let this guy get me. Okay. My team was losing, but long story short, we just started running, you know, plays. One of the guys said, we're going to play quarterback or whatever. So he threw it to me. I took off and I was a little faster than the other people. And then I was faster than the next play. Then I started recognizing that everybody started going, oh, when I ran. So I started running fast. (laughs) This apparently started getting attention of the coaches as I just could not stop scoring, I guess. (laughs) So I started learning the concept of the game, got out of music a little bit, and just like, I like the part where I run and (laughs) score. So they asked my father after school if I could try out for football. My mom says, no. I wanted to try out because I just wanted to test my manhood against the jocks. And I had much success. Me and my dad, kind of, he snuck and let me try out. I made the team, so we had to tell mom. Okay, let me just pause for a second, because what you just shared, I have never heard someone use competence in music to describe. But that was my connection. But that's what I'm saying. That kind of just reaffirms what you said earlier about how your mom knew if she wanted Molly to learn something, even like an address teach it through music Mm -hmm, you mm -hmm, literally mm -hmm. were looking at a football game in the relationship with the audience coaches responded different if you like 
got more yards after somebody yeah. or if you broke a play. So I'm like, okay, so this is cool. So all I needed to learn was the defenders and they were like difficult parts and songs, mm. like trying to learn, <laughs> you know, that's a defensive back. Just scat his feet. So it was cool. I never took it serious though because I just wanted to do music. I was so absolved in music that the school, Benedictine Military School in Savannah, Georgia, scouted me. They started coming. It's like all my football games, it started getting weird. People started really overreacting to me physically. (laughs) I got a nutritionist, a trainer. I put on like 20 pounds. I got shoulders, back, abs, chest, (laughs) and all I want to do is sing. So that made me want to disappear. So I loved falling into just the shadow of the most high, like Mm. disappearing in worship Mm. because it was so much pressure to perform on every level of my life. Academically, athletically, I had to know how to make this person feel just to stand in an elevator with them Mm. so they wouldn't feel like they were in danger. I had to know how to speak. This is a different life. So music was just a beautiful. um, Wow. So how did that end up resolving because obviously you're still getting attention football wise well yeah it's it got crazy because i got scouted by all these teams but all of a sudden dad's like busting now so then that gave me an extra umph because i'm like my dad doesn't cry out for me my dad doesn't say anything unless it's shaq jordan (laughs) or something like that but he's like really loving me right now he's like let's go molly And I'm like, yo, I'm finna get this first down for Pops. (laughs) Straight up. That really brought my dad into play. So I was really running for that relationship Mm. because it made his love evident. Mm. He loved me when I played football. It's not that he doesn't love me now. And he probably would hate that part if he saw that. But that was from your eyes, the way that you interpreted his enthusiasm was that way. I'm talking about when I had success at my school, my dad got promotions at work. Wow. I went to the most influential school in the city Mm. my classmates were the sons and daughters of the judges and lawyers like the owners of the car dealership Mm. it was so different than the lives of everyone that came crying out to god at my church Mm. it was such a paradox because they were just smart wealthy plugged in connected people they didn't even need god for the same reasons i worshiped him Mm. so my athletic career gave me exposure socially as I began to learn who I was and wasn't in the earth mm. as well, you know, coaches were doing the academics. So as long as I was scoring touchdowns, I didn't have to do too much in class. Mm. If I disappointed them, they might crack down on me or something like that. It was weird. But mm. I guess I was in the core of athletic prime without even knowing, caring or valuing it. You know, I was getting like valued like a prospect. <laughs> right. And I just wanted to play piano. <laughs> and I'm seeing these two worlds you're talking about kind of going into this collision. Yeah. Like, how does that get resolved? 10th grade is when I understood the sport enough and what they were expecting of me. And I also, like, for myself said, I want my family to see this. And I chose football as a ground to develop my masculinity because you can't do it in the house with two sisters and a mom and a dad. Like you just need some bros that's just going to give it to you. And I crave that. Had no brothers. So I like when the gloves come off because no one has to talk about how strong they are anymore. Just Mm -hmm. come on, let's go. And then I just started getting basic respect on who I was as a person and what I could do 
versus how I, I didn't focus or process like the jocks, but I did run a 4-2. <laughs> <Oof>. <laughs> That's what made the guys crazy. They would say, quick as a cat in a hot tin roof when I would get the ball. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that was football. That felt good. Pause. I just got to let people know, when you said a 4-2-40, that yeah. is elite professional football that's level what speed. everybody kept saying. I, I just got to say that out loud for those that may not know that. That's like your favorite running back or wide receiver probably doesn't run that fast as Molly was running. Okay, but I didn't mean to cut you off. So, all right, 11th grade football. That's like, when it started peaking athletically. Right. I started getting scouted. I'll be sitting amongst my peers and the coach would come and give me rubber bands of envelopes from Georgia. Yeah. Florida. So now I'm getting all these like cool emblems and they're getting sent to my house and me and my dad are getting invited to like games. Mm. But a lot of my friends that are diehard football guys are not getting this attention. So they start hating me. So I start experiencing hazing to a death. But then that's when I got the full portion of the nastiness of what comes with that. Mm. And also the world started opening up because I mean, you get kind of love as a singer but as a public out athlete just all this different type of stuff that i just was not exposed to already for 12th grade comes i get scouted now colleges are coming to my school my school is getting offers and favors and i deny going i don't want to put my body on the line to say that that's how i'm going to make my money or that's how i'm going to serve anybody i didn't want to be cattle so I said, I'm not going to do it. I wasn't hurt. I wasn't injured. I could go as far or as fast as anybody that was out there, but I just didn't want to be practicing or trying to compete against another group of guys. Mm. I'm not that interested in this. So no. And man, it blew up. It blew up. I thought it was just high school football. I thought you could go to high school and play whatever you want. I did. It was great. It was football. But this isn't my relationship. I'm not with this. I'm graduating and I'm trying to go on. Me saying that I wasn't going to play football caused me to not get... I couldn't even graduate. Right after I said I wasn't going to sign and go college or anything, my coach like jacked me up on the locker like... Pollard, what are you doing? Such a waste of talent. You have all this God-given ability and you're going to waste it to make rap beats? Wow. You know, I'm like, well, coach, I love music. I thought you and everybody knew that. And I make great songs. Like, I make songs of worship. I don't make rap beats. But dang, that was kind of a stab that made me always want to do great music because I know that people were going to be looking at me and saying, oh, I know exactly how he sounds. Mm. So I have coaches and people in the whole football world that was saying, he says he does music. Let's see what this loser puts out. So I'm putting my heart <laughs> into what I'm doing because it's not going to be received if I make any mistakes. And if, and if I don't make any mistakes, they will be found. How did your family respond to your decision to not? It was tough because I lost my dad for a while mm. because he sunk. It took full faith. He like... Hold on. I mean, I know that you like music and you sing at church, but you ain't that good. You know, like, you clearly good with football. You got all this. We got these opportunities. But you really think there's a career or a life for you in that? I didn't even think about it. I just thought I had the right to choose. But everybody wanted the security of knowing that what I chose was a solid thing. So college is securing to some adults in your life. 
sports are securing because they could see the future. They can have something to compare it on. But if it's something that's out of there, like you're going to do what or you're going to waste your life. And I've really learned the people who did not believe mm. at that time. And it was the people who were closest to me. And it was like a sabotage because the school was disappointed. They soon called me to the office for cheating because they said that the four years that I was there, I did not show. But those were my teachers. The coaches that said wow. I was doing this wow. were my teachers. They said it. I didn't have to do that stuff. They didn't even put the effort in teaching this stuff. Wow. But when I didn't go the full way, they called it and said that it was bad. And I was like, coach. But they all act like they didn't know. And the dean of students had punished me mm. and told me that I had to take the test for all of my finals again. And if my scores didn't match, then it would prove that I did not mm. take the original test. So this turns into me studying, all of the guys studying with me, which was a beautiful moment. I saw just people of all colors, shapes and sizes, see the system collapse on me and help me out. Mm. Help me out. Just with basic geometry, just giving me all the tools. So I learned everybody's way of learning. It wow. was cool. Wow. It was cool. I learned everybody, like 150 people's way of learning everything I wanted to learn because they wanted me to be successful because they know what I was dealing with was wrong. Mm. Man, it's wow how your story is both showing the corruption of the idolatry of sport in I'm our not culture. Even out of high school. And you're not even out of high school. When we come back, Molly will share how he overcame the criticism and resistance of his family and peers to follow his musical calling. That's coming up next on Where You're From. If you're enjoying Where You're From, would you take a moment to write a quick review and give us some stars? Podcast platforms like iTunes and Google promote highly rated shows. So a one-sentence review of what this episode or show means to you and a quick five-star rating will help these important stories reach more people. Thank you for your help and keep listening for more of Where You're From. This episode is brought to you by Preaching Today. Are you tired of chasing down quality sermon illustrations? Need fresh ideas for helping your message connect? Each week, Preaching Today adds fresh content to our database of over 14,000 editor-screened illustrations. Quickly find the right story that will bring your message to life and help your people move closer to God. Get started today at preachingtoday.com. Hey there, friends. This is Ryan Clevenger, and I'm one of the producers for Where You're From. Before we jump back into our conversation with Molly Music, I wanted to share a quick teaser from our next episode with Dr. Christina Edmondson and Chad Brennan. Think about what it would take for a slaveholder in America to go to church every Sunday. Right. Or to take communion, you know, to 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 declare the you know, the gospel of Jesus Christ and then come right back to their property, see people suffering, sell off children, um, know that there is forced breeding of, of people. I mean, to do that and still feel like that in no way prohibits them from mm. coming unto the Lord's table. Something has to take place both psychologically and certainly spiritually to shape and misshape someone's discipleship to think that that is OK. Welcome back to Where You're From. I'm Ross Berry. 
And in just a moment, we'll continue our conversation with Molly Music. Before we do, just a quick reminder that the show notes are available in the podcast description. They not only contain the talking points for today's show, but some links to learn more about Molly Music and his albums. You can find these links in the show notes or by visiting whereyoufrom.org. That's where, Y-A, from, dot O-R-G. Now let's rejoin Molly Music on this episode of Where You're From. So just to fast forward, so I remember when we talked earlier and you had this interesting moment where you talked about how when you started doing music, you were keeping it a secret. Yes. Why were you keeping it a secret? Ministry! (laughs) I serve the church, man. Mm. I serve the church, man. And... I serve the body. It's not about all of that. Yeah. That was a craft of something that I was being led by the spirit to create. You know, it was something beautiful and fun that I was excitedly like honing and crafting for that moment where pastor, if he would allow me to say something to my generation in church, mm-hmm. I wanted it to be ready, prepared, polished and good. Not something that we just threw together. I would spend so much time on those things because I would just feel like the pressure was on me to come through for the people that were my age in the church because something that I was doing in ministry would cause them to stay committed to. Hmm. So the church was full of us and we were in the word, but we needed a sound. And my pastor was very good in allowing me from time to time to do that. It wasn't like, hey, learn this song, learn this song. You got to play this way. I would come in, hear his message, go down an hour before service, create something, and then he'll say, Molly, do you have something? It'll be something I wrote that day. I taught it to the praise and worship team, and now we're chanting more than a conqueror because pastor's about to preach that. Now, by the time he says the message, it goes in every heart. I just started noticing those things, and I just never wanted the word of God or the words of God or the things of God to be detested or underestimated like I was mm. for carrying it, loving it, valuing it. So when do you start to realize it goes from Savannah, from your local church, and the word starts getting out? Social media, MySpace started coming. The songs that I would be like, Dad, but I'm working on something were what I would be posting on my MySpace page at work, which is actually why like, my boss came in and said, hey, you were using the computers here to post these things or whatever. It seems like thousands of people are commenting to you. You've left 14 discs inside of the units from the time that you've come to now. Go do what you're supposed to do. So it'll be like 7.30. I'll upload a song that I did and it'll be like, um, I hate you. You know, and then I'll put it up on the MySpace and then I'll go. That'll be a work day. I'll check it at my work break <laughs> and my lunch break. And it'll be like, yo, 9,900 and 97 people listened to that from the time that I posted it to now. What? So I was scared of that because I, I didn't know what that was. And I was just so focused with ministry. And I didn't want my pastor to think that it was something that I was like seduced by or that I was trying to do. I was just putting the songs out because I knew they were relevant. I had my coach against me. I had my dad against me. I knew the church would have me continue to go. But that's if I continue to build their culture. I started noticing no one was actually caring about letting my foot hit the ground or even letting me make a print if they weren't by me or directing every step Mm. and I had to leave a mark. Wow. So, okay. All right. So you realize in order to leave a footprint, that's something that you're going to have to make the move to do for yourself. Mm -hmm. So what ends up becoming the steps that you take to make that happen? My boss, Mr. Carpenter saying that caused me to like 
drive off in like a bliss. And that's the first time I was like, wow, man, I did something that actually like affected something. I could see what he's saying. I could see that there is a demand somewhere for whatever's going on, but I haven't even ever always focused on this, trying to honor my dad making me come here. So it was my dad and my family was my main support system. So I drive home and I had to face my father who was like, you know, hey, (laughs) what you you doing here? You're a little early, you know, yeah. I had a conversation with Mr. Carpenter. He heard my music. He saw my MySpace page. That is crazy. He even knows it is successful. I'm so excited about what God is doing. It's something really special here. Boy, go back to that job. Dad, I'm serious. It's something, you know, really going here. I'm not going to say it again. You get what I mean? I'm like, Dad, no, I'm not going back. He told me to go do whatever this is. And that was the first time I said no to my dad. I'm a Southern boy. Yeah. Hello? No. (laughs) And then the concept of like the rebuttal, but I already worked there. I already did what he asked me to do in doing what he asked me to do. I was told by what he asked me to do to do what I know to do. And that led into physical contact between me and my dad, Mm. because by the time I'm going in on saying no, and I'm getting hit in the mouth. Mm. So that, you know, it caused me to stumble and there was more anger inside of what he was dishing out. Mm. You know, I could feel it in the contact and it made me want to run away. I wanted to die that night. I even tried to like take my own life Mm. because I just was upset at everything. And I didn't think that I could have a more basic desire than to sing. I just wanted to sing. I wasn't bothering anybody. I ran away and I'm taking off through the like the bushes and I'm hearing the highway. So I cross over the banister and now I'm walking on the highway against traffic. And I'm just like fumbling. I'm hoping someone just field goals me. And a car drives by Courtney Pollard. It's one of the football moms that recognizes me, takes me in. My parents hear that I'm there and they retrieve me. And my dad treated me different every day since. He said, anything my son will fight me for, I support. Wow. And by the time I brought my space up on my mom's office computer, my page had exploded. Between I hate you, no music available and forward on there, I was like, wait, over a million people listen between the time you beat my butt (laughs) to hear what in the world? Then my mom says, Molly, this is incredible. I remember her pulling the computer to her face. She never stopped looking at the numbers since. Like, she just was amazed at the stats. And I didn't know how to read them until my mom began to breed and change into like a managerial position. She stopped mothering all together and just became like a general. Mm. Like, well, son, hey, you're just going to do what you got to do. Where is it? Miami? Okay, where did they say? Jacksonville or whatever? Give me the phone number. I'll literally hear her like, yes, Mr. Such and such. such, such, such. Okay, cool. Boom, boom. I'm like, wow. That'll turn into contracts. The front room would turn into an office and then it will be one book called Music Managing for Dummies, one-on-one, turn into another role, into another shelf as she just would become this Iron Man of... Mm managerial thing saying hold it right there have you heard molly music then sit down and be prepared you know she just became a machine so my mom said we should do a concert i said okay she said we should release these songs i practiced my band every day maybe for two years the only days they had off was sundays because we worshiped god Mm. 
but we rehearsed constantly for hours and we didn't need to have a concert because that's too late to be prepared. So I brought the football training mentality to my music and they said I was a bit of a tyrant and we lived off of that up until this day, man. Wow. We need to take a deep breath after all that you shared because it's quite of an amazing and dramatic turnaround from that night of confrontation with your dad to like yeah. the embrace. When I was keeping a secret, I showed my mom right. and dad. Right. And it wasn't a secret no more. <laughs> and so from there, my mom got my passcode and then she began to just go on the messages because I would get scared at the messages that I would see. Like, hey, this is from Miami. How much to get you to come here? Hey, we're from wow. Connecticut. How much to get you to come? Wow. Was there like a definitive moment of reconciliation with your dad or did it just like... Oh, yes. Anything that my son will fight me for, right. I support, is the boom. Wow. He was different since. Wow. The second coming came right after that. And he just was sitting back watching, just not knowing, but he was just so supportive and he never doubted. Yeah. And it was crazy because he supported with money. Mm. He was like the sole capital provider. Mm of stuff that we're doing because I wasn't with the label, but now I have friends and me and I have photo shoots and I'm going to travel where you think we getting money from. Wow. And let me tell you, I was just talking to our producer uh, reminiscing about the crescendo of enthusiasm that surrounded the second coming when that came out Yes, as somebody that was working with college students at the time who were, you know, loving God and wanting to see something express who they were, not just spiritually, but also musically that was inventive, that was revolutionary. And they were like, you gotta hear this. And you're sounding like that was the kind of momentum and type of oh, movie yes. that you were hearing well, we, all over. I felt blessed because I was living in the South when the South was bussing. Right. So I took up the musical responsibility as gospel. We gonna get this thing out. Yeah, and at the same time, you know, the album has you with like headphones and like this kind of beat machine, turntable situation. So you had this one particular line and probably what was seen as the iconic song on the second coming, The Light, where you say, I got the light. Stop trying to figure me out. Yeah. And that line to me said something more than just something that was a cool lyric, but really that spoke to a key part of who you are, who is Molly Music. Tell me a little bit about that line and its significance to who you are. It'll be a waste of time if we have 10 minutes and you're trying to find out who I am without listening to my songs. Mm. <laughs> and that's what I wanted to say to people. Mm. Like, guys, you're listening to my music because I communicate in song. Yeah. I wrote recently in my journal, I lose something when I become an idea. Mm. Because when you have an idea, it's created in your mind and you don't need me. Mm. You have the idea of me created by you so you always will be comforted by your version of me without actually knowing authentic me right <laughs> so second coming comes out and at yes. some point i mean obviously it does what it does it makes a lot of noise what's like the next milestone i know i don't know if it's See, the second coming was meant to be because remember i had the coming first that mm -hmm. little gray and white right like teaser album which was just me and my mom releasing the songs that I had on MySpace on a hard copy to whoever didn't have MySpace. Right. And it ended up being the world. So we're licking envelopes and sending it out. That's the coming. Right. So now there were these seeds that went everywhere. So now 
from these crazy events of me just being so aggressive with music and my football appeal, Mr. Dell gets in contact with my music from somebody playing my stuff for him. And he travels to Savannah, Georgia at the football practice to hear one of my rehearsals that I told everybody I was doing every day. So he sat in my rehearsal. We did a whole show just for him. Mm. And he ended up telling my mom why he came and that we were overqualified for it. So mm. afterwards, he began to express that he was a part of 3-6 Mafia. Mm -hmm. They had this big hip-hop deal where they had to, to release a group album. And then they had personal albums, solo albums that they were released in the deal. And that will make up four albums. They released the group joint and they had that big song from it. And in between that, three of the members died. Wow. Tragically and darkly right in front of Mr. Dale. So now Mr. Dale is terrified, shocked from all of it, gives his life to God because he's afraid of everything that's going on. He just is like, God, I've seen, man, these people that I just ran with that we was claiming all this, like they just felt like, God, I get down on my knees, I'll do anything. So now he's devoted to making a big sentiment to God, gospel, holiness, to be able to clarify any type of darkness. Hmm. You get what I'm saying? And to also put the word for it. So now, Mr. Dell is this diehard preacher in Tennessee mm. from this rap group, 3-6 Mafia, that's shocking people because he preaches so hard, but he's seeing the death. Mm. And he got the deal, and he got the industry. So I love that. So I connected to him heavy. Fast forward that, he comes to Savannah. So now he hears what's going on with me, and we connect, and my album second coming was released as a hip-hop album to the world because it was qualified as one of the solo albums under the three six mafia record uh, deal wow so that's how the whole world got to hear my album because it filled in one of the solo slots of one of the deceased members of the group mm. all the label that they were under needed to do was distribute something that sold and nothing sold like second coming wow so now I got all this respect in the hip hop world. I got all this grungy coverage from Mr. Dale who like, yo, don't talk about this dude. He just dropped the album. So then they started making all this noise. It's selling right now. <laughs> it's selling right now <laughs> under like a hip hop genre. So already I didn't belong to gospel on the category of shells from the beginning. Wow. And I wasn't marketed where none of my colleagues were. I was wow. like marketed where God knows how. <laughs> <laughs> that was just the craziest thing. And then I had powers that weren't pushing gospel music, pushing my product. Mm. So like they don't even know to think of me as gospel because hip hop is under my name. Wow. So nobody that was receiving the light thought it was gospel at first. <laughs> nobody cared. <laughs> then that's when it came this weird thing. Now the church cared. Mm. By the time it gets to song six or seven and Yahweh and all that come on, now, oh, the church got their hands up. <laughs> <laughs> but between I Hate You, where they wasn't sure about what was going on, yep. the light, I was introducing the kingdom to the people. Wow. I was introducing us to the people. They were listening to it wrong. Okay, so I love that, listening to it wrong. Like, you get what, what I'm saying? Yeah, what, what do you think is the lesson in that for believers or for the church you gotta trust god man you gotta trust god and i just love that music is just going to be connected to what god is doing right. i was singing those songs 
and I put out everything that I could. Right. One of the criticisms that oftentimes when people who break out of the sacred secular divide that these artificial walls that we put up is that it feels like, well, but they're not just impacting people like the old ways that we used to yes, do it is. Yes. What has been maybe elements or aspects of connection of influence that you've seen that you're like y'all have no idea how me flowing in this way where i'm not compartmentalizing myself Mm -hmm. but i'm exposing it out that it's influencing people what have been some of your own experiences and moments where you kind of hang your hat on that and go that's just a reminder of that same type of influence that i was hoping would happen when i was on that myspace wow 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 man i cannot complain and I've had so much like success, mostly in things that I didn't expect it or no even came with it in. Because my success would be if I could just get this accurately created and to the people unchanged, that's a success. But I didn't think about there's a result of me getting them that quality content. I would get questioned since the moving on Grammy opportunity. And then I would release Miracle and people would say, you know, Molly, are you Pastor Prime? I remember being asked that, are you Pastor Prime? Wow. I guess I've been doing it so long, they're ready for me to start going down, you know, like. <laughs> <laughs> he has to stop at some point, you know, it's the <laughs> unanimous vote. But um, I'm going to continue to give it all. And it never was by my power. The line after stop trying to figure me out is it ain't me, y'all. It ain't me. What a powerful recognition of God's work in Molly's life. From his calling to reach people with his music, through the conflicts it took to get there, and to the recognition and impact he is having today, Molly sees that it has been God working through him at every step. I'm Rasul Berry, and remember, it's not just about where you're at, it's also about where you're from. This show was produced by Daniel Ryan Day, Ryan Clevenger, and Jade Gustafson, and was engineered by Gabrielle Boward and Kevin Burgess. I also want to thank Chris Cynthia and Londa for their help in supporting and promoting where you're from. Thanks, y'all. Where You're From is part of the Voices Collection from Our Daily Bread Ministries.